Good morning and welcome to First Colony. I'm so glad all of you are here today. What, a, what an amazing thing it is, amen, to gather in this place and to worship Jesus together. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what it means for us as a church to, to honor God and to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, I'll catch you up real quick. We've talked about what it means for us to gather in large groups to pray, like we've done this morning, and in smaller groups to connect. This is what it means for us to be a church, to be the ecclesia of Jesus. We, we gather together. And then last week, Ronnie talked to us about what it means for us to grow, to grow in our faith. And, and if you were here last week, or maybe you're watching online, you, you, you saw how Ronnie was trying to illustrate that point. He showed several pictures of us on staff when we were younger, so you could see how, how we have grown through the years. You may not have caught this last week, but he inadvertently left out one picture, and I wanted to show that to you this morning. <laughs> one staff member he forgot to show. See if you can guess who this youngster is. This is our fearless leader, our senior minister, our beloved Ronnie Norman, and I'm so grateful that I got to get him back this morning. Thanks to Martha. Yeah. So we're all growing in one way or another, right? And we want to be growing in our faith. Today, though, I want to talk to you about one word with two simple letters. It's the word go. Go. Howard Thurman was a significant uh, American author, a civil rights leader, a pastor. He was a theologian, a philosopher. I could go on and on about Howard Thurman, but I want you to hear one thing that he once wrote. I think this is powerful. He said, there are two questions that we have to ask ourselves. The first is this, where am I going? And the second is, who will go with me? Where am I going? And who will go with me? I think that's true for all of us. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you know that this principle is true. We are all going somewhere and we are not going alone. Where are you going? And who's going with you? When I was a kid, I used to love to play this game. And in fact, I loved, I loved to play this game with my own kids when they were young. Maybe you played this game too. Anybody ever play the game Red Light, Green Light? You know this game? It's a fun, fun game to play with your kids. You can play it really anywhere. You pick a, a starting line, you pick a, a, finish, a finish line, you know, a final destination. And whoever's in charge says the word go or green light. And when you say that, whoever's playing, they begin to run towards the, the goal, Right? until the person in charge says red light. And when you hear the words red light, you, you freeze, you stop in your tracks until the person says green light again. And green light means go, red light means stop. And whoever gets to the finish line first wins. It's a fun game. You can play it almost anywhere. It's a great game with kids. It's great because you play it together. You're all trying to get to the same place together. And probably everybody in the room has either played that or heard of it before. The trouble is a lot of us have grown up and we're still playing this game red light, green light, except a lot of us are stuck on red. And the problem is that it's, it's not just that we're not moving toward a goal, it's that we're not moving toward any goal. We're stuck. We're at a standstill. We're, we're paralyzed. We're, we're frozen. We've stopped moving 
forward. We're stuck on red. And, and the reality is, is that that can be true for a lot of reasons. Sometimes it's paralysis by analysis. You know what this is like? You try to think through all the possible scenarios. You're trying to analyze every angle and you want to make a smart decision. You want to make the right decision. And it's good to be thoughtful. You want to be wise. You want to, be, you want to consider what, what you need to do. But what happens when you get this paralysis by analysis is that you never end up making a move because you're never quite sure which move to make. And so you end up just stuck. Sometimes it's paralysis by analysis. Sometimes it's good old-fashioned fear. Anybody been there before? Yeah. You're just afraid. You're, you're afraid of making that next move, of taking that next step, whatever it is. And this is what fear does. Fear freezes us. And so, so often this is what happens to us. Like we know what to do or what we think we should do. We have an idea about what the next move should be. But we get frozen in fear because we're afraid. We're afraid of what if. What might happen if? And we, we think it might be a good thing, but it could be a bad thing. And we're afraid of what if it goes this way instead of that way? And we get frozen in fear. Sometimes it's good old-fashioned fear. And sometimes, sometimes it's comfort. We're just really comfortable, if we're honest, with things the way they are as they are. And we've made comfort a king. And the truth is, like maybe we know things need to change. Maybe we know things are going to change. But the reality is, is that if things change, then it's going to require us to make a move out of our comfort zone. And I would just rather not do that. It's way more comfortable over here. I don't want to go over there. I don't want to be, be made to feel any kind of discomfort whatsoever. We've made comfort king. And so we just decide to keep things the way they are as they are. Even sometimes, even if, it, even if we know it's the right thing. Even sometimes, it, if it's a matter of our survival, we'll, we'll still choose comfort. That's how attractive comfort is. What happens, though, is whatever the reason is, we end up in this place where we're not moving forward and we just feel stuck and we think we are stuck. But it's actually a lie. I don't know if you've taught onto that yet. It's actually a deception. We think we're stuck. We think we're not moving. But remember, this principle is true. We're all going somewhere and we're not going alone. The reality is you are going somewhere and you're not going alone. alone. So you're not stuck. You are moving. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's a problem because you always want to be moving in the direction that, that, that God wants you to be moving in. You want your life to be in alignment with his will and in his way. And if you're stuck, or at least if you think you're stuck, then the reality is you may be moving in an opposite direction than what God wants for you. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe, maybe somebody promised you lunch if you came to church today, or maybe you're watching online because you're bored for a minute. If that's you, can I just ask you to entertain this possibility? Like, what if this is true? What if there is a God who loves you so much that he gave his one and only son for you so you could experience life with him forever? If that's true, wouldn't you want to line your life up with his will and his way for your life? Wouldn't you want to be moving in the direction that he wants for you? The good news, and there is good news today, 
is that from the very beginning of the church, the ecclesia of Jesus, these followers of Jesus from the very beginning, were always moving forward with God and for God, on mission with God and for God in this world. They could answer the question, where are we going and who's going with us? They understood that this principle is true. We're all going somewhere and we're not going alone. And so they were moving with God and for God in this world, on mission with him and for him in this world. And and I want to show you that this morning. In fact, if you have your Bible, maybe you have your favorite Bible app on your device this morning, can I invite you to open to Acts chapter 8 this morning? Acts chapter 8. We've talked about this before throughout this series, but in so many ways, Acts is the story of the church. We see the life of the church unfolding through this letter written by a man named Luke, who was an early follower of Jesus. And as we get into Acts chapter 8, the story takes a turn because the church comes under persecution. In fact, one of those first leaders in the church, a man by the name of Stephen, has just been stoned to death. I mean, murdered for his faith in Jesus as Messiah. And you might think that that would be the end of the persecution that was coming against the church, but it was actually just the beginning. And so Luke tells us what happens in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. What started as a gathering in Jerusalem is about to be scattered to different places and spaces all around the world because of this persecution. Luke writes in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then in verse 4, the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Now don't miss this because it will be easy to miss. What was intended to stop the gospel actually spread the gospel. And I want you to see that because I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, so often when we experience suffering in our life, we pray for it to stop. What we fail to see is that it is an opportunity to spread the good news of the great love and the grace of God to those around us. You see, more often than not, our our suffering, it can be a platform to either complain or to proclaim. And it's easy to complain. Somebody say amen. (laughs) It is easy to complain, right? It's even natural, normal to complain. It's different to proclaim. It's supernatural to proclaim the goodness and the grace of God in the middle of your suffering. These early followers of Jesus, they didn't see their suffering as a reason to complain. No, they, they saw it as an opportunity to spread the message, the good news about the grace of God, the goodness of God, the love of God with all those around them. In fact, one of the early leaders in that church, one of those apostles, a man by the name of James, who was there in Jerusalem, wrote these words to his fellow Christians who were up under this persecution. He writes, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great 
joy. Their suffering wouldn't silence their message. Their faith in God who raised Jesus from the grave was greater than any pain, any suffering, even greater than the possibility of dying. After all, why would you be afraid of death when your God resurrects the dead? I don't know if you heard me. Nobody said amen. Why would you be afraid of death when your God resurrects the dead? There's your cue. You got it. That's how they felt. They weren't afraid. Now they were filled with passion for the name. They were filled with courage because they of what they had seen and heard. And so Luke writes in chapter 8, verse 5, about one of these early Christians, a man by the name of Philip. He says, Philip, for example, he went to the city of Samaria. And he told the people there about the Messiah. And I want you to notice that too. Some of you know this, maybe some of you don't, but Jews and Samaritans, they don't get along. I mean, not even a little bit. But Jesus had told his disciples something. And Philip remembered these words. In fact, if you back up to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you can see what Jesus said for yourself. Jesus told them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea. And then Jesus said this, in Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. You see, the, the, the church was compelled to go because of the persecution, yes, but also because of their message and their mandate. And now because of this wave of persecution that's coming against the church, the gospel is spreading from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, just as Jesus had predicted. And what's amazing about that is now we see these walls of division, these walls of separation, these walls of segregation coming down between people groups, between races, between Jews and Samaritans. Why? Because what was uniting people was greater than anything then that could divide them. And what was uniting them? This new reality, this new truth that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Philip goes to Samaria, what normally would have been thought of as enemy territory. Most Jews would have gone around Samaria, not to it, certainly not through it. And he went there to be a witness for Jesus, a witness. That's what Jesus called these, these disciples. He said, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, Acts 1, verse 8. And what do witnesses do? You know this. What do witnesses do? They tell people what they have seen and heard. That's what a witness does. A witness is someone who tells someone what they have seen and heard. And I want you to see that because maybe you thought, man, I don't know enough about the Bible to talk to somebody about Jesus. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have the scriptures all committed to memory yet. I don't, I don't have answers to all the hard questions. I don't even know how to begin a, the conversation to talk to someone about Jesus. And I want to give you some good news today. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have the Bible memorized from cover to cover. 
You don't have to know the answers to all the hard questions. Your job as a disciple of Jesus is to be a witness, to tell people what you have seen and heard. It doesn't mean that we don't lean into the study of Scripture. It doesn't mean that we don't try to, try to understand and answer some of the hardest questions that, that are out there. But don't let that be a barrier or an obstacle to you fulfilling your mission and mandate. You've got a green light from God to go and to be a witness, to tell people what you have seen, what you have heard. Philip goes to Samaria, and, and while he's there, he's just witnessing. He's just telling people, let me tell you what I've seen. Let me tell you what I've heard. Let me tell you about Jesus. And in verse 6, Luke tells us what happens. He writes that crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs that he did. Many evil spirits were, were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. I'm sure there was. Verse 12. The people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Now, again, you may be thinking, I can't perform miracles. I can't cast out evil spirits. I don't know how to heal people, and I'm not sure I do either, but I do know that God can. And I do know what you and I can do. You know what we can do? We can meet the needs of people right where they are as they are. And we can share with them the good news of what God has done for us. We can be a witness. And whenever we do that, maybe, maybe that means we go across the world on a mission trip, but it may mean that we go across the street with a plate of cookies. Maybe it means that we talk to a coworker or a neighbor. Maybe it means that we sit down with a family member. Maybe it means that we, we pause, even though we're in a hurry, when we see someone who is hurting, and we ask them if we can pray for them. Here's what we know is true. Whenever we do that, whenever we go in the name of Jesus, this is always, always, always true. The power and the presence of Jesus goes with us. Whenever we go in the name of Jesus, the power and the presence of Jesus goes with us. Philip went to Samaria. And then Philip met a man who was on his way to Ethiopia, and he witnessed to him, telling him about Jesus, and he baptized that man. And then the Holy Spirit took Philip to Caesarea, and he carried the name of Jesus there. And legend has it that Philip made it all the way to modern-day Turkey, and everywhere he went, he carried the name of Jesus. He told people what he had seen and what he had heard. And this morning, I just want to ask you, who do you need to go to? Where are you going? And who will go with you? We're all going somewhere, and we are not going alone. So who is it that God wants you to be a witness to? I don't know if you heard, but there's a big game in a couple of weeks. They call it the Super Bowl. Um, I know our beloved Texans aren't going to be in it this year, but I want you to think about this. In fact, just, just imagine this. 
Two weeks from the day, the two teams that make it to the Super Bowl, they're in the locker room. One of those teams, I mean, they have fought through adversity after adversity. They've overcome injury. They've won every playoff game up to this point. And they're in the locker room, and they are getting ready because it is the Super Bowl, and the game is moments away. They can hear the stadium, and it is rocking. Everyone is going nuts. The excitement is building. The anticipation is just ratcheting up. Everyone's excited. Millions of people around the planet are tuning in on TV. I mean, this is the Super Bowl, people. And now it's time for the two teams to take the field. Except one of those teams won't come out of the locker room. That's crazy, isn't it? And you may be wondering why. Why won't they come out of the locker room? It's time for the game. It's time to take the field. Is it paralysis by analysis? I mean, maybe they're overthinking it. Guys, we've got to get together and go over these defensive plays one more time. I mean, hey, what do we do on the offense when this happens? Can we, can we talk about it one more? Maybe they're just paralysis by analysis. They're trying to think through it and overanalyze it. But it's game time. Like, it's go time. Maybe they're afraid. I mean, what if we go out there and lose? That'd be terrible. Let's just stay here. We got here. Let's just stay here. Let's not go out there. If we go out there, it might not go our way. Is it fear? Or maybe it's comfort. You know, that locker room at the Super Bowl, it's nice, folks. <laughs> Leather couches, recliners, air conditioning or heat, wherever they are. I don't know where it's going to be, but it's going to be nice and warm in there, right? They got food. They got drinks. They got everything, PlayStations, whatever they want. I mean, this is the nicest locker room you've ever seen. Why would we leave this locker room? It is so stinking nice. Now, if you're tracking with me at all, you know that this whole conversation is ludicrous, right? I mean, that's crazy. You don't make it all the way to the Super Bowl and then not take the field. That's never happened. And I don't think that's ever going to happen. You don't get stuck in the locker room. But there are people all across this country and all over the world today who will come to church but refuse to go in to all the world and carry the message and the good news of Jesus to those around them. They'll come to church, but they'll refuse to get in the game and go to the people outside these four walls and share the hope that we have. May that not be true of us. May that not be true of you. Who is it? Can I be so bold to ask you this question and ask you to answer it this morning? Who is it that God is calling you to be a witness to? What is their name? My suspicion is as soon as I ask that question, there's a lot of you in the room, a name comes to mind. And if that's you, would you do this? Would you take a piece of paper and would you write that name down right now? Would you open your phone and take out a note and just type in that name right now? Because what I want to ask you to do today and every day after today is I want you in a very intentional way to be praying for that person that God is putting on your heart right now 
by name. Who is it that you need to go to? Who is God calling you to be a witness to? And if you're that person in the room, and for whatever reason, you don't have a name, will you start praying for God to give you a name? I can promise you he will. Because this is the heart of God. For those of us who carry his name, to share his name with those around us, to be a witness, to tell people what we have seen and heard, to tell people of the goodness and the grace of God, even in the midst of our own pain and suffering, to share with someone around us the good news of the great love of God revealed in Jesus at the cross. And the truth is, for those of you in the room, for those of you watching online who consider yourselves followers of Jesus, this is our mandate, this is our mission. Everyone is called to tell someone about the one who changes everything. And Jesus, my friends, is the one who changes everything forever. Church, if you would, let's stand. At First Colony, we say it this way. We want to go and make a bold difference at home, at church, in the community, and beyond. That's what we want to do. That's who we want to be. We want to be the church that goes. We want to be a people that goes. Just like those early followers of Jesus, to be to be on mission with God and for God in this world.